0: Thanks. So this, this time we'd like to uh, make space for the ministry of the Word. I don't know if you know this, but for thousands of years, men and women have been gathering around the Bible in hopes to speak to each other in a way that would uh, encourage a life of obedience and righteousness. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a kind soul over here passing out some, so please just raise your hand or stand on your seat and he'll get you one. Also, so I hope to speak to you in a way this morning with some challenges that i prepared from uh, thoughts and propositions uh, from the stories in the Bible, and I also hope that you know that this word has also been speaking to people with weak hearts for many, many years, and so if you've come in a weary place this morning, I also have some words of hope for you to consider as well. Please turn in the Bible to uh, one of the uh, seven or eight to the last books in the Bible called Hebrews. There's a lot that could be said about the letter to the Hebrews, and it is, in fact, one of the most sophisticated and well-written letters in the Bible, without a doubt. So... As I was thinking about how to introduce or or uh, reintroduce you to this letter, I couldn't come up with something that wasn't absolutely confusing, even myself. And so I thought of this picture of what's going on in this letter. Really, whoever's writing this letter is writing to a people who uh, have several things that are really valuable to them. And he's saying, this uh, Jesus, this Son of God... Brings even more value and significance to the things that you hold high, uh, as highly as you do. So, for example, this is a picture of this. If you were in your family for the for generations were to live your life in the light of a full moon, sure you could see things. Yeah, we have a pond that we can see. We have a field. We got trees, and we can live a life in the light of the full moon uh, fairly well. However, what the author of Hebrews is doing, I see introducing a people group to the sunlight. And when you look at the same things in the sun, it's completely different. You never knew that that pond was so deep. You never knew that that field was so far. You never knew that that tree was so high. Everything was dark and black and gray before, but now you can see green and blue and all kinds of beautiful things. Nothing changed But you see something in a much more beautiful light now in the light of the sun. Also then this author encourages people who see that to not turn back to live a life in the darkness lit by the moon. For don't you know that the moon is also lit by the sun itself. This is what's going on in this uh, letter. It's kind of difficult for us to understand because the main elements of this letter are the main elements of the Jewish faith. So the priest, the temple, the sacrificial system isn't exactly something that we grow up celebrating. And so when you read this letter, you see all of these things being a shadow of Jesus. Also then, in chapter 11 which we've been studying this summer, we see men and women who are historical figures to the the Jewish people and also theological figures, pointing them in so many different ways to types of Christ and encouraging people to live lives of faith in the light of their courageous actions. And so we've now come to verse 32. Hear this word. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flame, and escaped the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. I want to introduce you to this next section. This is kind of the last section we'll be looking at uh, in this chapter, as it is the last section of the chapter. Sorry, and uh, uh, but I have to confess, when I first read these verses, I saw these four names at the beginning of these verses, and I thought, this seems like a contradiction. All of these names in this list are people who are uh, courageously making actions uh, to, to, to honor God with their lives. All of these then are names that were specifically chosen to encourage people to live a life of faith in the light of that. But when I read names like Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, I think these aren't the people I would have chosen to be that example. Think about it. Samson is kind of an embarrassment. He he kind of wasted a lot of his gifts or strength, and he lived a vain life. Uh, Jephthah gambled with the daughter, his daughter's life and lost. Barak is kind of a coward. He's like the main character of his own story. What was going on in the mind of the writer of Hebrews when they not only put these people in the list, they didn't even expound on their name. They just said the name... Almost assuming that whoever hears that name would recognize something so challenging that just by a word would, would, would have a, be confronted with their actions in life. Does that make sense? I, I, I'm saying I'd like to get to a place where I can see these names and think, just if I were to say to you, Gideon... That you would be challenged by that word because there's some story behind that that we treasure. That I don't even have to explain it. So I wonder, what was the story that was going on quickly in the mind of this writer that he was thinking of when he said the word Gideon. Well, Gideon comes from a a story in the Hebrew Scriptures uh, in the book of Judges. So turn to Judges chapter 6. It's the seventh book of the Bible. Um, Judges, what is a judge? Judge is not exactly the same as a judge for us in America that wears a black robe, uh, hits a gavel, and says things like you're innocent or you're guilty. Judge in Hebrew is this word, judge is a shoftim. Uh, S-H-O-F-T-I-M, if anybody's writing this down. Shoftim means judge, but what we think of judge, as I said, is different. A judge to what uh, are the Shoftim are de- deliverers. See, what's happening in, 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 in Israel's history here is they don't have a government set up or m- many well-fortified areas, and so they're just trying to make ends meet as they're a young country, and they get taken advantage of, and they— really just have one job to do. They can do whatever they want in this country, but they, they need to get the idols out of this land. Time and time again, the idols in the land are, get the better of the people of Israel, and they become uh, trapped in some sort of slavery or bondage. And God says, if you do that, I will give you over to the product of following these idols, and you will become attacked by the people around you. I will no longer protect you if you live a life like this. So again, a Shovtim team will come in. This group of people will be raised up in the midst of that. When the people of God repent, when the people of God cry out for help, and rescue them with a courageous act of uh, of war or, or a coup d'état or something that would uh, cause the tide to turn for the people of Israel, a deliverer, a rescuer. These are the Shovtim. team. Gideon, Samson, Barak, Jephthah are all names in in this book. So let me introduce you to uh, this first person, Gideon. And three stories in his life that I'm wondering if they were the story that the person in Hebrews was thinking of when they referenced him. Gideon uh, is introduced in Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. Please stand with me for this reading. Anytime you see capital L-O-R-D, it's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Oph- Ophrah and that belonged to Joash the Abi Ezri, which is a beautiful name, meaning my father is help. <laughs> I have no point to that. I just think it's beautiful. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press—don't think a huge wine press; think this small bathtub size, hot tub size stone uh, wine press—to hide it from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, "Yahweh is with you, mighty warrior." Excuse me, Gideon replied. If the Lord is with us, why have why has all of this happened to us? Where's all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not Yahweh bring us up out of Egypt? Did not the Lord uh, uh, abandon us now and give us to the hand of the Midianites? The Lord turned to him. Go in the strength that you have. Save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Excuse me? (laughs) How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I'll be with you. And you will thus strike down all the Midians, leaving none alive. These are the very words of God. Please have a seat. So the Lord meets this man named Gideon, who kind of seems to be demonstrating some negative attitudes Uh, right away. I'm getting some negative vibes from Gideon uh, with this person that he meets. This kind of reminds me of uh, a phrase that my friends often say to me when I offer some genius contribution to the world, uh, some thought, and it's really one word response. Really? (laughs) Anybody ever got that response from a family member or spouse or something, you know, like, really Dan Mike? Seatbelts on uh, toilets and airplanes? (laughs) Really? Really, Dan Mike, you want to invent a video game for the windshield of a car? That doesn't seem very safe. Really? Gideon is in this situation where he, he's, he's saying that to the Lord. Really? You're with me? The Lord is with me? Okay, crazy person, Um, have a nice day. Really, you think that I am a mighty warrior? Really, if Yahweh were with us, why is all this bad uh, stuff happening to us? If Yahweh was with us, I sure, I don't know if you heard this, but my parents paid for an altar to Baal in this very town. We've uh, We've had it up to here with Yahweh. We've been against him for some time now. Sure, my grandparents used to say, "Oh, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt, and Yahweh paid for our brought us water from a rock in the desert, or bread from heaven." Well, guess what? I'm threshing wheat in a wine press right now. Where's the bread from heaven for me? Gideon's. Gideon is in is in pain right now. Let me read to you uh, uh, some of the context as to why. Verse 1 says the Israelites had done evil in the eyes of the Lord now for seven years. So he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so aggressive, the people of Israel prepared for themselves shelter in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites would plant crops, the Midianites and Amalekites and other eastern people would invade the country. They encamped the land and they ruined the crops all the way down to Gaza. Manasseh's tribe then is up on the southern border of the Jezreel Valley, sort of over by the Sea of Galilee, and up uh, on the other side of Jordan. So down all the way in the best farming land of Israel to Gaza. I forgot what verse I was at. Uh, They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. So Midian has impoverished the Israelites, and then they cried out to the Lord for help. Things are going from bad to worse. People, uh, the, the, the Midianites and the Malachites are, are raiding uh, this country. They're kind of marauder type people. Kind of reminds me of, uh, Brandon reminded me of this this week, the movie of Bug's Life. You know those grasshoppers that would come and what they say? The sun grows the food, the ants eat, uh, pick the food, but the grasshoppers eat the food. There's nothing you can do about it. Gideon is feeling something that perhaps is kind of hard for us to emotionally connect with since our country doesn't always feel the feeling of a bigger country uh, overwhelming us. So I don't know if we can, we're kind of usually the bigger country, overwhelming people. So uh, I guess we can identify with the Midians. But um, we can identify with a feeling of being overwhelmed. We can identify with the feeling of being hopeless or being exasperated. Uh, Gideon, we'll find in chapter 8, his brothers were murdered by these people recently. He's experienced a great uh, pain and loss in the family. That's a feeling that can bring some overwhelming, uh, or that's a situation that can bring overwhelming feelings. We get overwhelmed by grief, you lose somebody close to you. We get overwhelmed by many different things. Our financial situation can overwhelm us when we look at the amount of student loans or the amount of debt that we have. We, we get overwhelmed sometimes by the way we're being treated by our spouse or our, our relationships. We get overwhelmed by uh, looking at the political situation in our country. We get overwhelmed by not uh, achieving the goals that we set ourselves for our futures even. We get overwhelmed just by looking at the evil in this world. My question is, what are you going to do when the Lord looks at you and says you're the answer to this problem? What will your response be when the Lord says, I want to bring you up from within that overwhelming situation and you be the help? Will we respond with aggression or will we respond with being passive and saying, well, sure, if there was a God that wanted me to do something, he would have done something himself. Would you respond with frustration and anger and say, no, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to do this. You do. This is your problem. He blames God. You have abandoned us. It's not our fault. It's your fault. I find that God oftentimes wants to bring people from within a situation of uh, exasperation or hopelessness to be uh, his instrument to help redeem the situation. Sure, sometimes a pastor or a friend or a mentor might help your marriage— but really things turn around when you start to own up to the responsibility that God might be calling you to die and for, for, for you to help, help this marriage or, or whatever situation. You might be in an age group or you might be in a family that's struggling with something and we want someone to come in from outside and rescue us, but oftentimes God will say, no, I want you. I want you to do this. I want you to help. Gideon's response isn't untrue uh, about his self-image. He is the poorest. He is the weakest. He is from the smallest. Oftentimes, we can look in the mirror and make the same uh, assumptions or the same uh, uh, conclusions about ourselves. But I love the response that the Lord gives to him. Verse 16. The Lord responds... I'll be with you. You may be the weakest. I'm not going to argue with that. You may be the smallest. But with the Lord, the smallest can become the greatest. The weakest can become the strongest. With the Lord, you can accomplish things that you never thought you could. With man, yes, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I will be with you. The Lord is with you, Crossroads. You know this, that he has made a way for him to be with us 24-7. When you start to feel like you're alone, you start to feel like you're too small, too weak, you probably are, but with God, you can't do this. You can't help. Gideon's first act of faith is then after this, where God says to him, I want you to tear down that idol and that altar that your, your parents put up in this town. This causes some commotion, As it would in our town. Imagine uh, one of the iconic things of Grand Rapids, you know. I mean, the the, the Calder sculpture downtown, uh, the fish ladder. uh, Think of your your favorite art prize, maybe your uh, biggest art prize exhibit. The first year, the table and chairs up on top of the blue bridge or uh, the the Loch Ness Monster. Did somebody just say that? Nessie in the river or... um, that giant flying pig that was behind the bob. Imagine one day you come out and this has been completely dismantled. Okay. Well, that's not all that happened. Gideon then repurposed some of these stones to become an altar to the Lord. So imagine you go down to the fish ladder and it's completely destroyed. But then there's this like rock-shaped cross that was placed there. Um, or... <laughs> It would, okay, it would be kind of dramatic, uh, let alone illegal, and this is kind of what's happening in Gideon's town. The people are like, whoa, who did this? And they start looking to kill him. He did it in the middle of the night. They do some investigating, and they find that it was Gideon. They come to him, and, and to his father, and say, let us have him to kill him. And guess what his dad says? Well, this is Baal's uh, altar. Let Baal figure this out with Gideon. He gets this new name. We say in English Jerubbaal, Jerubba, Jerubba, Yarubaal. In Hebrew it means let Baal contend. Let Baal fight for himself. This is Gideon's first act of faith. And I wonder if this is the act that the author of Hebrews had in mind when he said the name Gideon. I wonder if we could also be encouraged by this story. Are there any idols in your family or in your community or in your city that you know that you need to start dismantling uh, for the glory of the Lord? You know of something in your life that you need to take down. I want to challenge you before the sun comes up tomorrow to dismantle this idol. I would love to get to a place where we can see these things going on with each other and all I have to say is one word, Gideon, and you're challenged to go dismantle that idol. I'm not saying this will happen, but I want you to know there is an example in the Bible of a person who's acting courageously for the Lord and impacted his father. Is there anyone in here whose parents might not be so close to the Lord as you wish, or might be farther away than you'd hoped, or who don't believe in God anymore? What if I told you that by an act of courage, an act of faith for the Lord, by dismantling an altar that meant so much, an idol that meant so much to your family, would encourage your father or mother to maybe take this more seriously? Who would encourage your parents to maybe come to you and say, you know what? I'm going to go with you. This is Gideon's act of faith. Don't let this challenge pass you by. Gideon's second act of faith comes like the next day. He, he realizes that the army of uh, the Midianites and the uh, Amalekites are camped in the Jezreel Valley, as I said before. That's just north of the boundary of the tribe of Manasseh, and so it's not that far away. Gideon says, "Okay, the Lord says that I'm going to do. Th- I'm going to take out this army, so I'm going to get an army of my own together." He blows the shofar and he gets uh, people from uh, his tribe. Uh, he gets from Naphtali, he gets from Asher, he gets from Zebulun, so people who are going to fight this war. Twenty. Uh, 32,000 people come out to do this, which is kind of cool. But as I said before, even the camels are countless for the Amalekites, okay? So there's like 130,000 people who are uh, waiting to attack them. So the odds aren't that good. This is where Gideon looks for some confirmation. This is kind of a famous story, right? Uh, We we have a, a saying, put a fleece out. And a lot of people have a problem with uh, Gideon's uh, supposed lack of faith here and uh, putting a fleece out too many times kind of makes people feel uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of people putting fleece outs for things a lot less than going to army with uh, 32,000 people for 100,000 people. I mean, if I was to be giving Gideon counsel, I'd probably be like, look, man, you better double check that this is the plan that God wants you to do here. So maybe just ask him for a little confirmation, okay? He sets out this fleece and says, God, make it wet or make it dry, um, and then that will be my confirmation for if I'm supposed to go to Arm. He's just trying to get a little more confirmation here. Gideon winds up getting more confirmation than he even knows what to do with. He gets more confirmation than I even know what to do with. Because the next thing that happens is Gideon is uh, walking through the camp of the Amalekites and the Midianites, and he overhears a dream that seems kind of crazy, right? Like he's walking through the camp, there's so many people, nobody knows everybody, so he can get away with it, and he overhears someone having a dream, or wake up, yelling, I don't know, and they say, I just had the wildest dream. What was your dream? And he listens in. I saw this giant loaf of bread rolling down this hill and demolished our camp. Okay? I don't know how I would interpret that dream. I'd probably wake up and be like, Charles, I think we need to become gluten-free. <laughs> I don't know. It's, you don't understand. The bread destroyed the whole city. Okay? It's the bread. <laughs> His comrade, without any hesitation, pulls a Joseph and says, surely this is the sword of Gideon. I can't imagine what Gideon was feeling in this moment. He's probably like, can you believe that? <laughs> they think that the bread is me. <laughs> and that's the way confirmation really works, right? I mean, if you've ever sought some sort of confirm, uh, confirming thing from the Lord, it's not for your head, it's for your heart. Anytime that I've asked the Lord for some feeling of confirmation, actually my life gets more confusing after it than it was before. But I feel better about myself. (laughs) I'm sure Gideon wasn't like, okay, now that I've seen this loaf of bread, I know what to do. And that's what faith is like. It's not Being so sure that you can explain every detail of your upcoming steps. It's just being sure enough that that's the right step to take. Gideon gets some confirmation here, and he needs it, because he did get 32,000 people. But the Lord said to him, look, that's too many people. If you win the battle with that many people, you're going to become arrogant. So he gives Gideon a couple tests that pare it down first by uh, 22,000 people. And then second, he, he comes all the way down to 300 people to fight this war. Let me tell you something. Gideon's second act of faith isn't that he defeated the Amalekites and the Midianites. Because he didn't defeat the Amalekites and the Midianites. Gideon just surrounded them and scared the heebie out of them. He got this torch in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, a trumpet, and while they were sleeping, scared them so bad that they started to fight each other. Gideon's act of faith was giving up the thing that he could have trusted in more than God. Gideon's act of faith was, yes, inside of this confirming moment, he said, I could trust all of these people that have come out here, but the Lord's calling me to let go of that and to trust him more. Gideon's act of faith was trusting God in the situation of of an impossible outcome. And I wonder... If this is something that would be relevant to you in your life right now. That there's something that you're holding on to. That you know you're trusting this a little too much. And God's going to be kind to you like he was kind to Gideon. And go little by little. Pry that out of your hands. But the faith is really saying, God, I'm trusting you more than I'm trusting this. I've got to let this go. I wonder if this is the story that the Hebrew writer had in mind when he said the word Gideon. And I wonder if we could get to a place where I could just look at you, knowing that we struggle with this type of thing, knowing that we all have things that we're holding on too tightly that we need to give to the Lord and just say to you, Gideon. And that would inspire you to then start uh, assessing your life of things that you need to let go of. I wonder if you know that this story, the result of Gideon's faith, is freedom for his countrymen. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but isn't it encouraging to know that if you had an act of faith, it could perhaps lead to freedom in somebody else's life. It could perhaps lead to freedom in your city or maybe even in your country. Maybe this is the story Hebrews was thinking of. The last story that I want to share with you is a very uh, simple one and yet kind of tragic. Gideon ends this whole uh, saga in in, in Judges chapter 8 by making an idol out of uh, some of the gold that they won. Chapter 8 and verse 27. Gideon made with the gold a ritual vest, which he placed in his hometown All of Israel then prostituted themselves there by worshiping it, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Don't let your story begin and end with idolatry. See, they first approach Gideon and they say, look, we want to make you king. And he kind of has a noble moment here where he says, no, the Lord is your king. But then he names his son Abimelech, which means, my father is king. (laughs) Uh, Could be a sign there. And then he asks everyone to give him a golden earring from uh, their winning in the war. And he makes it into this ritual ceremonial vest. We have ceremonial vests in in our own way in our culture. I mean, a wedding gown, uh, a tuxedo, a prom dress. I used to have a ceremonial vest in high school. Underneath my basketball jersey, I would wear a Dennis Rodman basketball jersey every single game for uh, good luck. And the trick with this, I wonder if he, he, he took this vest and propped it up next to even that altar that he made in his hometown of the Lord. Sure, it probably started off as just a, um, a picture of their victory. Then it became kind of a token And that can happen with any of our success. We achieve the goal that we were setting out to do and all the time on our way there we were thinking um, we're so dependent on God's victory for this. We're so dependent on God to achieve this thing. And then once we get it, it so easily can turn into something in our lives as an idol. If it's a persona, or whether it's a number in your bank account or whether it's a, a... ...a job to do at work or, or gaining uh, some success in life... ...it can easily turn into something that we once were depending on God for... ...but now we're depending on ourselves for. Do you ever notice how in the Hebrew Scriptures... ...whenever they talk about people following idols... ...they, they say harlotry or prostitution... It's not just, you know, a sinful act, but it's, it's perceived as prostitution. You know, exchanging goods for pleasure. We can do this uh, very easily with a persona, or we can do this very easily with something that we elevate above God, by saying, I'm going to give my goods, my values to you. I'm going to give an exchange of something that I think is uh, important to me. It could be time, or it could be just your life. Hoping that that thing will bring some sort of pleasure or satisfaction to your life. That's prostitution. (laughs) I'm going to give my essence over to something that promises me pleasure but never gives it, that promises me comfort but never gives it, that promises me satisfaction but never gives it. It's shocking. I'm not making it up, it's in our verses. But don't prostitute yourselves out for an idol. So I wonder if this is the story that the person in Hebrews had in mind. Not because of Gideon's success in this situation, but because of his failure. Because when we see Gideon fail, we easily can see also our own failure. We can easily see our own inability, and it tells, is the testimony of God's faithfulness. Because behind this unfaithful man is a picture of a God who is faithful and who says, I will pursue you regardless. I will continue to make a way because I'm a promise keeping God, I'm a covenant keeping God, and I will provide a way for you to have freedom from your slavery. I will fight for your family to have freedom. I will bring uh, deliverance to your life, regardless of if Gideon makes it or not. I wonder if I could just say the word Gideon to you in a moment where you're sitting in a dark night of the soul, where you realize the, the filthiness of your own heart or, or the problems that you've had, and you're looking in the mirror thinking, how could I, someone like Gideon, who fails from beginning to the end of my life, be loved by God, and say no. Gideon is here in this story to be a testimony uh, that he did not ruin it, but God is still pursuing people like Gideon. But Gideon left a, a legacy of death and idolatry in his family when he died. But when the Son of God died for us, he left a legacy of freedom and redemption and forgiveness for all of his children to have. I wonder if I could get to that place where I just say Gideon, and you realize you've got problems, but so did Gideon, and Jesus died for him too. I wonder if that would encourage us then to have another act of faith, where we say, I don't know, I am filthy, but you know what? I'm going to take a step forward. I'm not sure how this all is going to figure. I'm not sure how God is going to forgive me, but I'm, I'm, willing, I'm sure enough to take a step towards him. Maybe this morning some of you have an idol that you're seeing in your family or your community. And you're feeling like it's your job to take it down. The Lord is with you. Obviously, uh, taking this down on your own uh, strength would be a failure. (laughs) But the Lord is with you. You may be weak and feeling like you can't figure all this out, but he will help you. And in your weakness, he can make you strong. Challenge you. Before tomorrow morning, make a decision about that idol. And see what might happen in your family. Maybe some of us, uh, you know, are needing to give God more credit for victories in our life. Uh, Maybe we're looking for some more confirmation. Don't let that confirmation become uh, something that is supposed to do something that's not supposed to do. Don't let confirmation in your life be the thing that explains all the details of your faith. Just let it be something that encourages your heart. Enough to let go of something you're trusting too much in. If you've got something that your hand is holding so tightly to, I want to challenge you this morning to trust in God. Whatever that may look like, start to let go. Trust in God. And for all of you who realize that uh, we fail too many times to count Like to share with you a verse. Please stand with me. With Christ, I can't find the verse I was thinking of. Oh, in Christ. You've been circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your entire body of flesh has been put off with Christ. And has been buried with him in baptism. In which you've also been raised with him through faith. You were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh. But God has made you alive with Christ and forgiven you of all of your sins. He's canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness which stood against you and condemned you. And he's taken away by nailing it to the cross, thus disarming the powers and authorities and made public spectacles of them up, triumphing over them in the cross. Father, I pray for our open hearts to receive the gospel. you could encourage us to become, men and women, who are uh, faithful to that truth. Inspire men and women to break down idols. Inspire men and women this morning to uh, trust you and inspire us to receive a gospel, washing over all of our failure and sin and, and giving us forgiveness. On behalf of everyone, I just want to say how blown away I am that you would, that you would offer this to us. Thank you. Amen.